your time accomplishing tasks. God wants you to sit with him. It's not a waste of time. This is one of the things that I, I really think is, is probably one of the, he says it casually, but that's like a statement that encompasses this whole book is we do, a, we do a lot of church things, but how much do we really just be with the Lord, enjoy him, connect with him, be in his presence, uh, really get to know him, talk to him. This, it's interesting that all through the New Testament, and I think he actually says this somewhere in here in the first few pages, but all through the New Testament, we don't see an actual church organizational structure presented. We don't see church services designed. We don't see where, like Paul sits down and says, um, okay, first you need uh, worship, you need, uh, you need offering, you need, we don't see that kind of stuff. Now we do see in 1 Corinthians 12 where, he, where Paul talks about these are the spiritual elements that need to be there when you gather together, but we don't really see a lot of when you gather together, uh, this is what you do. In fact, w- one of the places where we actually do see this, uh, it says that Paul, they're in this uh, room, this like the second story room, and, uh, and, and Paul preaches for quite a few hours, and then they sing a hymn and go home. That is literally the church service. Paul preaches a few hours, then they sing a hymn and go home. Now what happens while Paul is preaching those few hours? Somebody falls asleep, Go figure that. Falls out of the window. Dies. Right? They go down, raise him to life, and he has to finish the service. (laughs) I love that. Like, don't be down on my watch. I'm not done preaching. (laughs) But that's, I mean, literally, that's the the way that that it is. That's the way that it works. For that moment at that time. We see when Jesus was in the um, temple that according to the, some of the tradition we have there. Now, some people will say, yeah, because that's the Jewish tradition we have now. The Jewish tradition we have now is not necessarily what they did at different times in, in biblical history. Okay? And it wasn't always, you can't just pick a time and say that's the way it's supposed to be done because even through biblical history, they did things differently at different times. But we see where Jesus gets up in the temple because he's, he's a good Jewish man that loves God and he's going to be in the temple. And, uh, and he gets up, and, it, and apparently the way that it was working at that time was they would all be sitting there uh, in, around the room, and then somebody would get up and, and unroll the scroll to where it was that day and read from the scroll that day. And Jesus is the one who gets up and does it that day. That's why it's such a big deal that it was open to the prophetic uh, part of Isaiah where it tells about Jesus is about to come and who he's going to be. When he gets here, uh, that kind of thing. So we don't really see a lot of what we would call church structure and church services and stuff like that. I've got a friend of mine that used to be an Assembly of God minister, actually. And then uh, now he's um, Greek Orthodox, because <clears throat> that's a normal transition. <laughs> and, uh, and he and I have talked about this a lot. And he has reasons why, and I have reasons why, I think, and all this other stuff. But he tells me, he says, no, we're doing it the way that you're supposed to do it. Like, according to whom? Who makes the decision the way it's supposed to be done? Who, the Greek Orthodox make that decision? The Greek Orthodox used to be Catholic. 
Roman Catholic. Actually, they were just Catholic, and then the reason we use the term Roman Catholic is because they split, and some went to be uh, Eastern Orthodox, and some went to be what we now call Roman Catholic. But they used to be the same thing. It's, it's interesting how we can, we can do all of this stuff over this is the way it's supposed to be done. Uh, there was a church, well, there's a lot of churches nowadays, but I remember the very first church that kind of uh, was known for this. They stopped taking offering up in the middle of the service, and they just put like a big box at the back of the building. And, uh, and everybody just kind of puts money in as they go. I don't think there's a right or wrong. I had a friend of mine that's a pastor that uh, called me about six months ago. He said, what do you think about that? Do you think that's legitimate or, what, or whatever? And I said, here's, here's my answer to your question. Why are you doing it? Why are you making that shift? Do you have a reason? If you don't have a reason, then why, are you, why do it? Why worry about it? If you have a specific reason, and he said, well, what reasons would be good? And I said, well, I'm glad you asked. Here's the reasons that would be good. God told you. I mean, that's really, why? I mean, because I told him, I said, here's the thing. You're taking a chance that um, people won't give. He said, well, I read of a church. I said, there's your problem. You read of a church. We're so bad in Christianity about trying to copy the next church down the road. And he talks about that a lot in this chapter. Why copy them? They may not be right. Or it may just be something they're supposed to do. What are you supposed to do? This, this is one of the things that is so elusive. And when I talk to pastors, and, and as pastors, we do talk about this stuff. When I talk to pastors, I tell them all the time, what is God telling you? Just what is God telling you? And, and, and as a pastor, I will tell them, when I, mean, when I say you, I mean first you, but also like your board and your leadership team. And if you've got pastors with you, what, do you, what is God telling you as a group? We, we do this all the time around here. We're, we're, we're very much about, um, let's figure this out as a team. Let's discuss it. Let's do those kind of things. I, I'm not, I don't do that to shirk my responsibility as pastor. In fact, it's actually the opposite. My personality is, do this. Don't ask me why. Just do it. Just do it. Do it. So I, I actually have kind of the team discussion and those kind of things. Because I really want the input, and I try to temper that against my mentality to say, I, I spoke. I'm pretty sure that's the greatest thing you've ever heard, so do it. Uh, so as a team, we try to temper that. Because I, I really strongly believe in the Scripture that says it seems good to us in the Holy Spirit. Do, do you really feel like the Holy Spirit's leading this? It doesn't mean there is an exact way that God is going to spell it out. Sometimes there is. But, but most of the time, he's telling you this is who you're supposed to be, and so what you do is, is uh, driven by that, okay? And he does talk about that in the book some, too, in this chapter some, too, with uh, what really is your mission? What is your reason for being? It, it, that actually will guide and direct uh, some of the things. In fact, one of the things that he talks about is that, um, let me find it so I make sure I say it right, but he, he's basically saying that, they, that they're, their church is supposed to be built around that their mission statement says they're supposed to be built around uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and, and the Holy Spirit being in charge of services and things like that. And then he says a very, um, a very pointed question. He says, does that mean everybody or does that just mean a specific few? In other words, as the pastor, am I the anointed one that operates in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and everybody else that's not, 
The, the chosen ones, you don't. It's interesting. The very first time I ever saw this, I was I was at a uh, I was at a um, I, I used to go to a, a mega church and a ha- and and do uh, weekly um, staff meetings with this mega church, and then I would go to some board meetings. I went to a bunch of stuff they did there, and a great church, great leadership. But there was some there was some inconsistencies that I noticed right up front, <clears throat> and I didn't really understand what I was seeing the very first time I saw it. The very first time I started going to the church, they probably had about 30 on their staff. And uh, by the time I left there, about four years ago, I, did, I wasn't on staff. I was pastoring a church. I just went there. And about four years ago, when I stopped going, uh, they had probably, I think it was 97 people on their staff. Okay? Um, I was sitting in one of their staff meetings. About the time, they had about 50 people. And uh, about 15 of these were pastors, and everybody else were the peons. You say, why would you say it that way? I didn't think it was that way, but I found out that it was. And here's why. We're sitting in the staff meeting. They were all about team. We're a team-oriented staff. We're team, we're team, we're team, all this kind of stuff. But I didn't realize that what that actually meant in their culture was the pastors were the team, and everybody else sat and listened and supported. If you were not one of the pastors, you actually did not have a right to verbalize your opinion. I didn't know that. They hired somebody. They had been on staff for about a week and a half. They didn't know this. So they're sitting there in their big staffing. There's about 50 people in there, and they're talking about some of the events coming up. And this administrative assistant, about a 25-year-old girl, she raised her hand and said, oh, I've got something I'd like to have us consider. And she gave her opinion about this. The room got silent. Everybody kind of, all the Pastors, they never looked, they were all sitting and she was back there and they never looked back there. They were all kind of just looking at the pastor like, what are you going to do here? One of the commoners spoke. And uh, I didn't know that at first. I was just like, that's a good idea. Somebody, you know, and then I realized very tension filled in this room. Then finally, one of the older uh, on staff, not older age, although that was true too, leaned over to her and said, well, She wasn't really allowed to say something, but she didn't know that because she had heard team, 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 team. She didn't know that didn't mean you. We do the same thing in our churches. We say, this is the kind of church we are. This is the kind of church we are. This is the kind of church we are. But is it really? Are we really staying consistent with that? We're, we're a missional church. We're a missional church. We're all about missions. We're all about missions. We're all about but are we really? Is that words we say, or is that who we really are? We're really, we're about the word. We're about the word. We're about the word. I, I, I saw that this has been a trend for, I don't know, about a decade now, probably about 15 years now, but very strong for about a decade that a lot of churches, specifically larger churches, are going to what's called expository preaching. Expository preaching basically just means uh, you just go verse by verse by verse, and then you kind of uh, unpack those verses a little bit, but you just read down through Scripture, you kind of explain it. And I had somebody tell me mm, close to 10 years ago, if you're not preaching expositorily, you're getting too much of you involved. You're adding too much of yourself, and you need to preach expositorily. Now, I do, I do use expository methods while I'm speaking, oftentimes, okay? But I don't, I'm not an expository preacher. I don't just choo-choo-choo-choo. Next week, the next chapter. Next week, the next chapter. And they said, you need, to, you need to preach expository because if you don't, 
it's too much of you. We're getting too much of you. I said, so when you preach expository, this is what pastor said. I said, when you preach expository, what you mean is you just read the Bible, close it, set it down, and dismiss. He said, what? I said, you don't, you don't actually give input because that would be about you. You just read the verses, close the Bible, walk off the stage. He said, no, I, I explain. I said, you? You explain? Well, well, yeah, you have to. So you're adding you into it. Do I need to keep going with the conversation I had with him? And I also told him, and I've said this before, and I believe this strongly. You don't have to agree at all. I know what I think. I think expository preaching is one of the laziest forms of preaching that there is. Because what are you speaking next week? The chapter after this one. You can literally study that on your way to the pulpit. The chapter after this one. That's lazy. Now, do I think all expository preachers are lazy? Nope. But if they ask me, I'll tell them they are. All right. Here's where he says this. Your heretical structure almost certainly speaks louder than your orthodox theological statement. The theology that matters is not the theology we profess, but the theology we practice. That is a powerful statement. It's not what you say, it's what you do that really determines how you believe. What you believe comes out in your actions, not in your voice. Sometimes your voice will match your actions, but your actions will always determine your reality. Not what you say. Do you, do you say, are, are we a church that loves people? Okay, that will be seen by what we do, not what we say. Are we a church that truly loves God? That will be done, but that will be proved by what we do, not what we say. Are we really passionate about the Holy Spirit being in charge of us and convicting us? That will be that will be proved by what we do, not what we say. This is one of the this is one of the biggest tensions in in all of church history, consistent throughout church history is is the the, the dichotomy between what we say and what we do. This, this, is, this, is determ- this actually determines who we are, what we, what we do, not what we say. And James said this. James said, faith without works is dead. In other words, what he is saying is, you can profess faith, but if it's not backed up by what you do, it's not really faith. It's dead. There's nothing alive about it. If you're not doing what you say you believe in, then you don't really believe in it. If you're not doing or following Jesus with your actions, then you're really not following Jesus. So there has to be the active component for it to be real. Verbal, verbalization is just that. It, it really doesn't mean a lot. That's, that's why one of the things that I, I say to our staff around here regularly, and, and, uh, and this is not a, uh, a negative statement, this is just a reality statement, is when we're, when we're talking to people about... Uh, being involved, doing ministry, doing things like that. I'll always tell them, don't, don't listen to what they say. Pay attention to what they're actually doing. Are they doing? Not what they say, what they do. And this is what I'll tell everybody is expect greatness and settle for whatever you get. Because as human beings, we can talk a good game. We can talk a great game. 
But when it comes to actually doing, oftentimes we don't follow through and produce what we say. Those are, those are not always the same thing. And he's saying on a, on, a, on a core theological level, you can say whatever theology you want, but what you really believe about God is what you do. And as a church body, that's the case. What we, what we do is actually who we are, not what we write on the walls in beautiful script. It's, it's what we do. Okay, so he goes through some uh, basic stuff here that <clears throat> that I want us to look at. So, um, <clears throat> he, I do I do like the statement right before he jumps into these different models. He says on page one seventy four, imagine if the church purged until all that was left was a group of people with a Bible, a cup, and some bread. You understand the cup and the bread, right? We just got a Bible, cup, and a bread. What if that's all we had? Um. We, 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 we would say these things. This doesn't happen really nowadays. Maybe in like churches that rent out mall spaces and stuff like that, it might happen. But this happened to uh, Lynn and I a couple different times over the years because of just wonderfully built uh, church buildings. But right in the middle of service, power goes out. That's happened to Lynn and I probably half a dozen times. No screens, no instruments, no lights. You can barely see each other. All again. Now, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, you just go home. That's what else are you? Do you realize that many, a major, major percentage of people around the world, that's exactly what their church services look like every single time they get together? No lights, no sound systems, no screens, no cool illustrations. Of, of digital art or any of that kind of stuff. Just, what are, they, what are they getting together for if you don't have all that? What are they actually getting together for? That's not rhetorical. Food, it's legit. That's, that's actually biblically legitimate. Okay? Um, so food, let's include a bunch of things. Food, fellowship, connection. What else are they getting together for? Why do they want food, fellowship, and connection with that group of people? What makes that group of people different? Like-minded about what? Jesus. We're actually getting together for Jesus. The reason that I want to have fellowship with people that, that um, literally until I walk in the doors of the building, I don't really know them. The reason that I want to actually get to know them and connect with them is because we have one common denominator, Jesus. This is, this is the interesting uh, dynamic of, of church mentality in the United States is, is that really the common denominator for, for people? Because if your life is threatened, like many places around the world, you don't get together just because somebody's saying, let's get together. If if uh, financially you're, you're destitute, you don't get together just because somebody said, hey, let's get together. And you definitely don't do weird things like tithe. That doesn't make sense. Unless there's a common denominator. That's Jesus. Jesus tells us to tithe. So with that common denominator, now you have a, now you have a reason. There's a purpose. Why do you sing songs? Because there's a common denominator. Theoretically, those songs should be about Jesus. 
should be about Jesus. So, or the things of Jesus. So that's, that's the reason you sing. You don't just sing because there's some uh, good musicians that are playing music. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're singing because there's a common denominator. It's Jesus. Why do, why do we pray? We don't just pray because we feel like it's a spiritual thing we're supposed to do. We pray because our, our, our direction, our common denominator, our purpose is Jesus. All of these, all of these things. So, so it should be our responsibility to always be coming back to this. Are we really about Jesus? Is church a prior? I'm not saying the church. I'm saying church a Are we really about Jesus? Are we, but what is it, what is our, our, our mission statement? The simplification of our mission statement is that we're pursuing God and reaching people. Is that really what we're for? Or are there other things that take priority over those? Are we really trying to draw closer to Jesus Christ and supernaturally bring others along with us? Is that really our desire and our passion? Or are we doing something else? We've got to always be coming back to this. Are we being consistent? Are we doing what we say? So he starts on page um, 176, and we're just going to walk down through these and get your opinion. Um, he said, these are the things that we're supposed to be doing regularly, that this is why we get together. We want to be devoted worshipers, committed to worshiping God. And, and he talks about the fact that this is not, that there, oftentimes uh, the settings that he's doing this in, there are no musicians. Because he, he really is, is uh, when he resigned from his mega church, he started like home churches. That's what he's going to talk about here, home churches. So sometimes this isn't even musicians involved. It's just people sitting around singing. I've told you guys before that one of the, one of the most moving videos I've ever seen in my life, I, I, the first time I watched it, many times, the first 20 times I watched it, I just sit and cry, is a group of, of um, Chinese people. And the first time I saw this was right about the time I went to China. And um, <clears throat> they're, they're sitting like in a little courtyard, and there's about 15 uh, Chinese Christians there. And they're singing songs. Now, this is a heavily communist-controlled country, and they will not let um, Christians worship God unless they are part of the approved uh, three-self church that is the, the national church that is a joke. It's not a real church. It's just a bunch of um, people that do what the government says. Then there's the underground church that are, that are literally millions upon millions strong. Literally hundreds of millions of people strong. And this was one of these groups of people that were part of, that are part of the kingdom of God. And they're sitting in this courtyard and they're singing songs to the Lord. But because they're scared to death of the government and they will be killed or put in jail for, for serving Jesus, they're all singing with no noise. And, and they're clapping hands like this. And they're singing, whatever the song is. And they're all singing the same song. And I see that and it just breaks my heart. The, the, the intensity of their connection with the Lord and the desire to know Jesus. And they're singing from the depths of their heart. And you can't hear one one note. But they're pouring their soul out to the Lord. Man, if we could just get a tiny drop of that in the American church. Just, hmm? well, we got to have all this stuff. It's got to have, it's got to be the, 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 the scene, the visual, the music, all the stuff. 
And and I don't want to say all of that can't be good. It can. But not if it's the priority. If it's the priority, it actually you prove that it's not good. That's the priority. But if the priority is, I just need to know Jesus. I just need to tell him how amazing he is. Then it'll be good in any setting. But once the priority becomes something else, once the priority in church mentality becomes more people in the door, he talks about this in this chapter, that he fell prey to this, that he thought his job as a pastor was to make sure that more people came in the door the following week. Not, not whether people are knowing Jesus or getting saved or any of that. That's not, that, that's not the priority. The priority is we need more people in the building. We need more people in the building. Okay? First thing he says, devoted worshipers. The next one, loving families. <clears throat> is that really our priority? The third one, equipped disciple makers. So, so who are the disciple makers in the body of Christ? All of us. You're a disciple maker. You're not a, a, a convert winner. You're not a soul winner. You're a witnessing individual that makes disciples. We're disciple makers. That, that it takes a lot more investment than just saying a words to somebody, praying and moving on, even, even if you get to that point. Disciple makers, we're going to disciple people. Spirit-filled missionaries. He says, some will go to foreign countries to share Christ where he has not been heard. And and then he talks about a little other place in this chapter. Uh, Don't assume that that's not you. The way he says it is, your assumption should be, it is you until the Lord tells you it isn't you. I love that mentality. You are called to go. Where? Just start going. And he says, and I agree with this, you know our philosophy of missions around here, expect the Lord to try to send you to unreached people groups unless he specifically says no. I love that. That is not, that is not the way the American church thinks. That is the opposite of the way the American church thinks. Well, I haven't felt a call. To what? I haven't felt a call to, and then we say some country we don't want to go to. I haven't felt a call. But didn't God call us all? Didn't God call every one of us to go to the world, to the lost, to the ends of the earth, to make disciples, to preach the gospel? Didn't he call us all? So where's your ends of the earth? This this should be consistent for all of us. Where is, for you, where's the ends of the earth? Because God's called you to there. He's called you to the ends of the earth. Is your next door neighbor the ends of the earth? Or maybe five miles away to your work? Is that the ends of the earth? What if you, what if you drive all the way to Manitou? Could that be the ends of the earth for you? It kind of feels like it sometimes. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's weird how we start demarcating all this stuff according to what? According to us. Not according to God, not according to the Holy Spirit, not according, but according to us. We just start drawing lines and saying, I'm not going outside these boxes. I'm not going to do this. This is, this is where I will stop. Suffering sojourners, and I, I really 
I like, in fact, of all the chapters in the book, I like the, the chapter the most where he talks about uh, suffering. That that is an expectation of much of Christianity. For Christianity's total experience and much of Christianity all around the earth. We have these tiny little pockets of Western civilization where suffering is not an expectation of Christian living. Because we've, we've become pampered. We've become very, uh, everything is given to us, and so we don't have to actually know what suffering is like. It's not part of our, um, it's not part of our cultural structure within American church. In fact, there are major chunks of American church that believe if you're suffering, you're sinning. Because you don't have enough faith to not suffer. Which is weird. I mean, I've, I've been, I was a youth pastor in a church like that. I've, I've seen that. I've been involved. I know the theology behind it. But it's not scriptural. How many times does Paul talk about the sufferings he's gone through? All of the stuff that he went through. Put in jail and stoned and all kinds of different things. And he says, but that's okay because I'm suffering with Christ. It's just like, that's what's supposed to happen. What's that? Yeah, throw away the whole book of James. If, if, we don't, if we believe suffering is not enough faith, you're just not reading the same Bible. It's, it should be expected. Expected. Not suffering we bring on ourselves, right? When the policeman pulls you over for speeding and you slap him, that's not what I'm talking about. That's suffering you deserve. But, but suffering truly for the cause of Christ. So, I mean, I, I, this was years ago. We were, Lynn and I were youth pastors, and we had these people that asked us over to their house to help them fix their finances. They were 15 years older than us. Help them fix their finances. And they talked this big old box, just packed full of just receipts. She sets on the table. She says, can you fix this? I was like, what? No. I can show you how to fix it. It's going to take you about a month, it looks like. They were talking through the conversation. She said something, not him. They were very different in their understanding of God and their walk with the Lord. But she said, well, I guess just as Christians, we're just going to have to suffer through this. I'm like, I don't think your Christianity had anything to do with you getting to where you are financially. First, you don't tithe. Scripture says you're going to crash and burn financially if you don't tithe. The second thing is, is you've got all these credit cards maxed out. Jesus didn't tell you to do that. You're not suffering for Jesus. You're suffering for new shoes. Get, get, your, get your spiritual understanding proper. Daily Bible readings. Getting in God's Word every day. Because we've got to do this. I, I, I hope and believe that, that, that we as a church really are people of the word. I believe that, that we are getting in God's word. But just let me throw this out here. If for some reason you're not making that a, a daily, regular routine, just get in God's word. E even if all you can do is, is uh, listen. If that's how you do it, then listen. You don't have to read it with your eyes. You can listen to it. There's so many audio options for Bibles nowadays. Get an audio option and listen to it. If you've got 15 minutes of work, that's 15, 30 minutes every day you can listen to the word of God. And you might not get as angry as the people you're driving around. Get God's word in you. Then the last thing he says is meet in homes. He, he, he unpacks this quite a bit. He says multiply leaders 
Elder authority, that's a big one that he talks about. He talks about that some in the book, um, that, that, um, that you need people in your life that you are accountable to. Spiritual elders that you are accountable to and that you submit to their authority, that's your choice. Nobody can make you do that. But you need some authority in your life to, to be accountable to. Everybody does. It doesn't matter how old you are. It does not matter. I, I've talked before about one, one of my closest friends. He's 96 this year, and he and I get together. He was in our last church, and so he lives about an hour and a half from here. And uh, we get together uh, fairly regularly, and we talk. And he, he says to me every now and then, he'll tell me, he says, well, I need to get together with you. You're my spiritual authority. You know how weird that sounds to me? He is 96. He was a spiritual authority before I was born. He was, he was a board member of a church for 15 years before I was born. But he tells me all the time, he says, I, I submit myself to you. And he'll tell me something. We'll sit and discuss, and he knows the word of God like you wouldn't believe. And we'll discuss stuff theologically. And he, he says, well, I submit to you. What that means is I don't really agree with this. <laughs> That's what he means. I'll submit to you on this. He doesn't necessarily agree with what I'm saying scripturally, but... But at this moment, he's going to submit himself to that and then go home and think about it, pray about it, and that kind of thing. And he's come back to me before and say, um, I don't think you're right about this. In fact, one time he told me, he says, I think you're all washed up. <laughs> and it just, he disagrees with me theologically on that. Okay. Very submissive man. Very submissive. Convicts me. Every time I'm around him, convicts me. Submit to authority. Um, everyone discipled, everyone disciples, everyone exercises gifts. I talk about that a lot around here, guys. We just need, we need more gifts of the Holy Spirit. Anytime I talk about this, specifically in the journey, where we have more time to talk about it, there, somewhere in the context of the question arises, well, what if this gets all hokey like some of them crazy charismatics? My response nowadays, you start to do this big teaching about that and show my responsibility to church. Nowadays, here's my response. Let's just head toward hokey. Let's, let's just go that direction. When we see it way out there on the horizon, we'll worry about it. Let's just go that way. Let's just, just raise your hands and pray in tongues. Just freak everybody out. Just... Head toward hokey. My responsibility, our board's responsibility, is to take care of some of that stuff. And it's not that big of a deal. It's very easily taken care of. It's usually just a conversation. Hey, when you jumped and ran around the room and shot out all the lights, what was the Holy Spirit telling you? Because we, we weren't feeling the same thing. Simple conversation. Right? Let's just head toward hokey. Okay. Uh, regular multiplication of churches. This was the biblical model, multiplying churches. I, I've got something that is happening with our church right now that I think is going to be pretty exciting. I, I haven't um, talked to the board about it yet. I'm going to talk to them tomorrow night about it. But um, potentially uh, a way that we can help multiply the kingdom of God that's, been, that's being presented to us. Something that I started a conversation about a year ago with somebody that's been multiplying I'm excited about how God just gives you opportunities to minister to different kinds of people at different places in life and all this. So, all right, simple gatherings. <clears throat> this, is, this is probably one of the biggest things that's taken out of church context today. 
is the simplicity of the gatherings. Just simple gathering. Just getting together with other Christians. Just trying to serve the Lord. Trying to figure out um, who Jesus is together and work this out. Talk about it. Talk together. Get together with other Christians. Just have some dinner every now and then and just talk about what God's doing and why he's doing it and what this means. Don't be nervous or afraid or anything. Just talk. Get it out there. Okay? Share possessions. Man, that's a big one too, right? I've seen it different times in Western Christianity where this is done and sometimes where it's not. Okay, then assume missions. And he talks about that. Uh, that missions has to be that mentality. That has to be part of who we are. Okay, then he talks about um, making church small. Now, he does this home church kind of mentality, and when they get to about 20, I think he said about 20, uh, they start looking at dividing and becoming another church, and they develop leaders to accomplish that task. Okay, so all of this together, including with the context of a small home church mentality. Um, tell me what you think, pros, cons, good, bad. Nothing? You saw a disconnect there. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And and how and how you're going to reach them. We've had so you guys many of you have been to the journey. Journey is a uh the Bible study we have, a uh, home group, it's more than a Bible study, that we have at, at our house, Lynn and I have this at the house once a month, on Sunday nights, and we have food, and it's about three hours, three and a half hours, and 
Lois? Well, a few times over the years, we've had people show up with a housewarming gift as a bottle of wine. And uh, we give them back to them and say, we're, we're not really drinkers. We're not kicking them out. We're not asking them to leave. They're not incompatible with us. They just have a different mindset when it comes to drinking. Um, and, and much of the church world does have some different mindsets about that. Um, yeah, so, so there's a couple of things. Here's some of the experiences that I've seen and had conversations with with people over the years in, in uh, like home churches. Sometimes home church means we just don't plan. Everybody just show up. Just like anything else, laziness is not okay. It's just not. And it's just, well, let's just show up. Don't matter. Whatever we're just gonna, whatever we feel like doing. That's not biblical. Paul is very specific about how you operate when you get together and how the gifts operate and, and all these different things. So, so having a plan is important. Does, is, is small better? <clears throat> Does small, because he, 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 I would say he makes a very, very strong case that small is only in this chapter. So is small better? I'm saying within his de- definition, 20 or under, is that better? What are some benefits to 20 and under? You truly know everybody. You're not just their name, but you know them. You know them closely. Their needs. And, and I would say you have a better potential, at least in a small context, you have a better ability to meet those needs, to minister to those needs. In small contexts, not in big contexts. Okay? Okay, I would say under the right context of small group, home group, that's true. Some home groups, they're, they're run by bullies. <laughs> so that doesn't necessarily guarantee that. It can sometimes. By the way, some churches are run by bullies too. That having a... Having a larger setting doesn't mean that one person or a handful of people are not getting their way all the time. That can happen in a larger group just like it can in a smaller group. So what are other benefits to a home group, home Bible, home, home church? It's what? Yeah. It's true. And apply it. Yeah. Thank you. And and also, really operating the gifts of the Spirit. Really letting the Holy Spirit use you. As a church grows, that becomes very difficult to do. As a church becomes larger, it becomes very difficult. And then you always, and he talks about this, you always have the, the tension of the pastor or the leadership not allowing gifts of the Spirit because of what they think that means. I just had a conversation this last weekend with a guy that goes to a mega church in Denver, 
And he was asking about this. He said, they used to be Pentecostal, used to be a similar God. They're not now. He said, and I've asked some of the leadership, what do we do about things like healing? What do we do about things like the gifts of the Spirit? What do we do about things like uh, truly ministering and making disciples of each other? And, and I said, what was the answer? Because I know the leadership of the church. And he said, and he said well, they, they just kind of never answer the question. They just kind of dance around the question. And he said, but aren't those things necessary for the body of Christ? Yes. So what are, what are some more benefits for home churches, Ian? Yeah, uh, potentially direct accountability. Now, uh, accountability can work the opposite in a, in a small group. If you've got somebody that's a strong personality and they're not letting you hold them accountable, they, you can't do it. Of course, that can happen in large churches too, but the potential that you get lost in the mix is less in a home church mentality. Yeah, accountability is huge. Linda? Now, this is a good question too. Can that, can 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 these kind of things be changed even at a larger church level? I, I believe that the idea here is the missional drive or the context of why that church thinks it exists. If the church thinks it it exists so people attend, then accountability is not a priority. The number count on the weekend is the priority. It's not accountability. It's not disciple-making. It's not connected families and all these kind of things. Can you have a larger church, even a megachurch, can you have a larger church that those things are priority? Sure, but you have to be very, very intentional about that. Now, I would argue at a, a, a home church, you have to be very intentional about that too. You can show up at a home church week after week after week and have zero accountability. So a small gathering doesn't guarantee the accountability. And you have to be very intentional about certain things. Um, another thing with uh, what Paul was talking about with home churches that is a, that's a negative, and I, I saw this. Um, the I went to Africa in uh, like 1994, I think. It was probably 94, 95, somewhere around in there. And the reason that I went to Africa was to teach pastors and church leaders the importance of, not how, they weren't that, they weren't too there. I did that too, but they weren't there yet. The importance of ministering to kids and teenagers. Because they would have church, 30 people in the church, they would have church, and all the kids would be outside running around, doing whatever, and they would have church. 
I've seen the exact same thing at home churches. You've got a handful of adults talking about Jesus, and the kids are downstairs playing PlayStation. Well, in my opinion, at that place, at that moment, when you look at that context, a church that has children's ministries and structure is better at that point. Right? Can they be ministered to in home churches? Yes, but you have to be intentional about it. That has to be part of your purpose. So I agree with, with what he's saying here, but I don't agree the only way that it can happen is churches under 20. Okay? Um, but you do have to be intentional about stuff. You have to truly be intentional about ministering to people and how that looks. And do people really get to operate in the gifts of the Spirit? Is that something that's important? Do they get to use their giftings? Do they use their abilities and talents? That's why I think really the best of both worlds is a corporate church structure where people get to come in with more than 20 people. I think there's some very important dynamic there. That they get to see worship from other people. They get to, uh, to, to know and to understand. See, here's what happens also in a, in a home group usually, is you kind of all look and think the same way in your home group most of the time. Same basic age, same basic place in life, socioeconomic, whatever the case is. Well, you, you need to be worshiping beside um, 80-year-olds that have lots of money and you're broke as a 30-year-old. Beside 45-year-olds that have 14 kids and 50-year-olds that have never had kids. You, you need all these different things. And, and corporate worship, corporate gatherings do that. And then have home groups, life groups at home, and those kind of things too. Have both. Right? Do you guys see that home groups in the USA are a subset of the congregation? They've done home groups for members. They've done home groups to be led by people. Yeah, I don't think home groups are supposed to be that. Most churches try to grow their church through home groups. I don't think that's a healthy model. I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad. But So here's the way. The largest church in the world, you guys know where it is? Seoul, Korea. And uh, Dr. Paul Yong-hee Cho is a pastor of the church. And what they have corporate gatherings for is to reaffirm um, and uh, ratify a salvation experience that happened in a home group, okay? They have close to a million people that meet every single weekend in their corporate gatherings, but they have over 5 million people that call that church their home. That's, a, that's actually a biblical model. There's, because that means in all of these other places is where ministry is being done and souls are getting saved and disciple making is happening. And then, and, and part of the reason, I, my grandmother went and spoke for Dr. Cho at least a few times. And one of the times when she got up there to speak, and they're going to have seven services or eight services that day, and all of them have hundreds of thousands of people in each service. And she's about to walk onto the stage, and Dr. Cho pulls my grandmother aside and says, uh, Now, Betty, remember... This isn't about you. These people got saved this week. You're just here to close the deal. They're already saved. And the fact that he said to her, and I love my grandmother, but this was huge for her. This ain't about you. That was big for my grandmother. But, the, the, but he would say that. It's not, this is not about, this is just the celebration. The church is out there every week. I love that thought process. 
I love that mentality. That's a heartbeat of a missional-driven church. Pat, were you going to say something? All right, anything. We, we are going to watch the video next week of what he said. And then we're going to start unpacking some of this, how you and I and Church at Briargate can accomplish some of the things that are specifically mentioned in these chapters. How do we, how do we be used by the Spirit? How do, we, how do we disciple other people? How do we do that? What does that look like? So anything, what are we gonna, how are we going to pray about this? What's stern in your heart? How are you going to pray about this? Yeah, and, and that's, that's, that is the part of the reason we're taking an extra few weeks because I, I want us to drill down on that mentality. Who are we really? What are we trying to get to? This is about souls, about lives, people. Not about structures and organization and church meetings, about people, about people. All right, everybody seems really talkative tonight, so I will pray. And, uh, and that's my heart with this too. So, God, we come before you. We trust and believe that you are the God above everything. That, that, that you are real. That you are actively desiring to be involved in our lives. That you have a plan. That you want to do stuff. But Lord, it isn't just about getting together on the weekend. It's about really surrendering and serving and going after you. Jesus, hungering for you, needing your presence. So, Lord, help us to be that kind of people. Starting with every individual in here that we're about you, and then as a corporate body that that flows out of who we are, that we chase after you as a body. Lord, help us to really be about people, their souls, their lives, their today, their tomorrow, families, their needs. Help us to be about people. In Jesus' name. Lord, help us to be about truly ministering to each other. Ministering to lost people. Discipling lost people. God, help us to, to be used by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to be used by you. Lord, with, with messages in tongues, interpretation, prophecy, healing, faith, all the different things that you tell us, Lord. That we can, that we can have discernment of your Spirit. Listening, knowing what you're telling us. And Lord, help us to just, just pursue you with all of this. Lord, we pray that Church of Briargate will be the church you want it to be, not what I want it to be, not what anybody else wants it to be, but what you want it to be. And we pray this for your glory and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, if for some reason you have not got this book <laughs> and read it yet, 
And, uh, and you're sitting here on Wednesday nights going, man, that sounds like a good book. Get the book. Read it. Read it on your own. Process it. Um, we're going we're gonna to go a little bit through the afterword next week as we, as we unpack a lot of this other stuff and do this. So, um, so we will see you Sunday morning. Have a great rest of your week.